It's Orphan Sunday, and um, it will be a miracle if I can get through this message without crying. So, we will start by looking at our text. It is James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Today in our time together, I'll be answering three questions. What is the orphan crisis? What does God think about orphans? And what can we as the church do about it? Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves today and submit to your word. Your word that speaks, that exposes, that sifts, that analyzes and judges our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the orphan crisis? Well, the orphan crisis, you may or may or not have heard of it. Um, it is something that a lot of people in the church talk about, but few truly understand. I will admit, I didn't know exactly what the orphan crisis meant until I started researching it. Um, so I'm going to just explain to you a couple of things that I learned. According to UNICEF, which is the United Nations Children's Emergency Fund, there are roughly 153 million orphans worldwide. Every day, an estimated 5,700 additional children become orphans. Now, it's hard for me personally to picture how many 153 million is, and so um, I'm going to try to illustrate this for you. There is um, a picture of the largest countries in the world. So you'll see um, a graph here in a second of the largest countries in the world by rank, um, by population. And so the, the largest one is China, and they have 1.4 billion uh, people in the world. And then it, India, you'll see, is the next one with 1.3 billion people in the world. And the third one you'll see is the United States. The United States has 329, I'm sorry, not people in the world. Their population is 1.3 billion, and then the United States is 329 million. So you'll see they're ranked in order. That, um, those are the top 10. If all the orphans formed a nation, they would be the ninth largest nation in the world. More people than Russia, more people than Mexico. Picture that, an entire nation of vulnerable children who do not have anyone to care for them. That, in essence, is the orphan crisis. The orphan crisis exists worldwide. Now, here is another graph um, that will show you that... Uh, hold on. <laughs> Sorry about that. I lost my place in my notes. Um, so here is... The, where the orphans exist worldwide. So you'll see the largest concentration is in Asia. They have 61 million orphans in Asia. And they also have the largest population of orphans with disabilities. And then in Africa, um, that, that's the next biggest one. And then Latin America and Caribbeans, Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Now, again, it's hard for me to put these numbers in perspective. So I put for you the, the red box there that's the entire population of Kentucky. Okay, that's the entire population. The blue are countries. So you will see um, that 
that to get some perspective on that number, the number of orphans in the world is huge. It's huge. So what do I mean when I say orphan? So just to kind of clear up what I'm talking about, like the traditional definition of orphan is someone who has lost both parents. But when they're, when you're seeing these numbers, they're not actually talking about someone who has lost both parents to death, though that can be. Um, there are two misconceptions that people have about orphans. One is that they've lost both parents to death, and two, that all orphans are waiting to be adopted, and neither of those things are true. So, um, While it's true that some of the orphans have lost both of their parents, a more inclusive definition, and this is the one that UNICEF uses when they have those stats, is that an orphan is any child under the age of 18 who has lost one or both parents to death and is not getting the care that they need. So this may mean that both parents are deceased, or it may mean that one parent is deceased and the other one is detained or maybe in jail or... Um, or just absent for long periods of time, it may mean that the surviving parent is unable or unwilling to take care of their child. Um, and so what they often do, especially in these, in these foreign countries, is they will just abandon the child to the street, um, or they will abandon them to an orphanage where, sadly, most of the children will not have the attention and care required for healthy development. Now, children become orphans for a wide variety of reasons, including war and poverty and sickness, and they live halfway across the world, and they live down the street. Each face looks a little different. She may be a two-year-old little girl with Down syndrome, abandoned to the streets because of her disability in a foreign country. He may be an 11-year-old boy in Louisville, Kentucky, in the foster care system with a father that he's never met and a drug-addicted mother in jail. She may be an eight-year-old girl in an orphanage in China dreaming of a family who will adopt her before she ages out of the system at age 14 or before, statistically, she dies at age nine. The second misconception is that all orphans are waiting to be adopted, and this is not true. Um, some still have a living parent who just can't provide for them, um, but they haven't relinquished yet their parental rights. And some have lost both parents, but they may be living with another family member. And some live in countries that are completely closed to adoption. I know a little bit about what happens when a country closes its doors to adoption. Um, I have four children. Uh, two of them are biological Noah, who died when he was nine months old, I've talked about him before from the platform, and Rebecca, who is alive and well and 20 years old. There she is. She's waving. Um, but I also have two adopted children. Elijah was adopted domestically as an infant and, uh, we, when we lived in Florida, and um, Eliana was adopted internationally as a toddler from Guatemala. And when we started the process of adopting Eliana, it was late 2006, when Guatemala adoptions were fast and easy as far as adoptions go, because they can take years. But in Guatemala, it was only taking like six to eight months from the time you um, submitted your paperwork until the child was placed in your home. And so the way it works with international adoption is that you go through what they call a home study. And that is just a very nice way of saying we are going to your business and decide if you are fit to be a parent. Um, so, and the home study becomes part of your dossier. 
And dossier is a French word that means gigantic mountain of paperwork. And this process takes several months and is very much like the first trimester of pregnancy for all of you who have been pregnant. It's like you're sick and you're nauseous and tired all the time, but nobody knows that you're about to get a baby. So it's like that. All the countries are different, but the way it worked with Guatemala is that um, once you finished the dossier, you took that whole mountain of paperwork and you took it to be um, certified mail to the right person. And it feels very much like you are mailing off your child because you kind of are. And, and then you race home and you get on the website where they have a gallery of waiting children and you pick one and then they match you that day. And so I did that. On January 4th, 2007, I mailed off my dossier and I raced home to select our baby from the gallery of waiting children. And then I had to wait for Guatemala to process the whole adoption on their end. Now, the problem was is that Guatemala at the time was having a lot of corruption in their adoption process. So they were in, in, the, in the process of closing that whole system down. And they told us, we, you need to get her out by January 1st. 2008, which is a year later. I thought, no problem. They're only taking six to eight months. We, we will do this. Um, and so we, what we were waiting for was email from Guatemala. It's called the pink slip. And they were going to give us a date that we could show up in Guatemala for, and meet at the embassy, get our baby, finalize the adoption, and bring her home. So that's what we were waiting for. Well, the problem was is that the pro it was going very slow, and, um, and we, everyone that I knew that I was in contact with a lot of other adoptive moms at the time, and they were all getting their pink slips and getting their embassy dates, and, and I was not. And weeks were going by, weeks were going by, and just to give you some perspective, this was 2007, before smartphones, and we had dial-up internet. So I had to keep, like, it was 10 minutes every, every 10 minutes, I'm like refreshing my big old computer in the middle of our kitchen. Um, and so we, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. It's not coming. It's not coming. And you know, when you're dealing with foreign embassies, you can't just call them up and ask for customer service and be like, I'm sorry, can I speak to your manager? Cause I'm supposed to have this pink slip. It doesn't work that way. But what you can do is call your state Senator. And so we did that. We co contacted our state senators. Our state senators, um, started trying to figure out what was the holdup and to our horror, the reason our paperwork had stalled was because it was not sent to Guatemala. It was sent to Guangzhou, China. You guys. <clears throat> I would like to tell you how chill I was <laughs> and how full of faith and trusting in God I was. But no, I completely lost it because it was now late December and we were running out of time. So the senators worked like crazy to locate our paperwork and get it sent to the right place. And they finally got us an em embassy date, but we missed the deadline by four days. Miraculously, they found a way to grandfather us into the old system. And we were able to go on January 4th, 2008, one year to the day after we were matched with our daughter, we met Eliana in the in the uh, lobby of the Westin Hotel in Guatemala City, Guatemala. We're just one story, one country, 
For, for the countries that do remain open to adoptions, there are a number of complicated rules and regulations that impact adoptions, and, and they differ from country to country. And as you can imagine, this inevitably leads to longer waiting periods and mounds of paper and tremendous financial expenses. Look at that picture of her looking at her daddy for the first time. Is that not the most beautiful thing? I told you I was going to cry, you guys. I warned you. Okay. So while these changes in practices and rules are intended to protect the child, they have also unfortunately discouraged so many people from adoption. So let's bring this a little bit closer to home. In Kentucky, there are 10,000 kids in foster care, and 8,000 of those kids need temporary placement. Currently in the state of Kentucky, um, those 80 percent of the 10,000, they, they, they are waiting for reunification with a parent or with a loving family member. And so they don't need to be adopted. About 2,000 of them do, but 8,000 of them don't. And so they just need a loving home in the meantime. And I don't want to lose you with all the stats. I won't keep throwing numbers at you, but you need to know this about the orphan crisis. Just simply being an orphan in any system domestic or international, you are vulnerable to every kind of abuse, to human trafficking, to neglect. A majority of the kids who age out of the U.S. foster care system end up as criminals. Many of them commit suicide. So, what is the orphan crisis? This is the orphan crisis. The orphan crisis is 153 million children worldwide without parental care, and that number is growing daily. The orphan crisis is orphans living with one parent or a family member who struggles to provide basic needs. The orphan crisis is children having no home, no food, no bed, no education, no love, no protection of any kind. It is children in orphan, orphanages neglected and or aging out of the system by age 14 in some countries. And because we leave, live in an evil world, these children are the most vulnerable people on the planet to abuse of every kind, including human trafficking. And statistically, most of them will die by their ninth birthday. Of those who live, many of them become criminals and or commit suicide. So I, I answered, what is the orphan crisis? What do you think God thinks about orphans? Let's go back to our text. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. For those of you who are in the women's Bible study on Wednesday night, we're currently going through a line-by-line -line, uh, study through the book of James. And if you are keeping up with your homework, ladies, you know that you studied this verse this week. You are blessed and highly favored right now. Um, so we are going to unpack this because a lot of this you already know, but the rest of the church who is not going through the study with us does not know this. So to fully appreciate this verse, you need to know two very important things. First of all, this is a letter written by James, okay? James, this was James, Jesus's brother. Young, Jesus's younger brother, James. He was born and raised in a very Jewish home. 
We know that from James 1.1, it says that it's written by James and it's written to Jewish Christians who have been dispersed because of persecution. So he's a Christian Jew and he's writing to Christian Jews. They're not Gentiles. Why is this important? Because so much of what we read in the letter of James echoes Old Testament law. And also a little interesting note, James is, um, of all the, the New Testament, of all the letters in the New Testament, James has more references to things Jesus said, maybe because he grew up with him, than any other book in the New Testament, which is really cool. The second thing you need to know is that the big idea of the entire letter of James is this. If you are going to claim to have faith in Jesus, you must show it with your life. So with those two things in mind, that this relies heavily on Old Testament law and Jesus' teachings, and that the idea of this whole letter is to live out your faith, let's back up and look at that verse in context. James 1, beginning at verse 22, says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So in summary, James is saying this. First of all, listen to the word and do what it says, and you will be blessed in all you do. Second, he says, worthless religion is not controlling your tongue. And then he contrasts that with pure and faultless religion, which is looking after orphans and widows in their distress and not letting the world pollute you. And then that is all James says about orphans. He doesn't go into detail. He doesn't give us an explanation. He doesn't defend his position. He just says pure and faultless religion is looking after the orphans and widows. Don't just talk about it. Go live it out. Now, when I looked at that, I thought, if this is truly pure and faultless religion, James, why would you not go into more detail? And, and here's what I believe the reason is that he does not do that is because he didn't have to. Why? Because remember when I said that he was a devout Jew turned Christian speaking to devout Jews tur turned Christian? Well, as Jews, as devout Jews, taking care of orphans and widows was woven into the fabric of their identity. It was who they were. This was not the first time they heard it. It was not the only time they heard it. They had been hearing it their entire lives. So let's look at one passage from the prophet Isaiah just to show you what I mean. Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 20, says this. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams, of the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my court, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. So this is the Lord speaking. And he then goes on to describe how their meaningless offerings have just become like a burden to him. 
Skip down to verse 16. He says, wash your hands and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. What is right? Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when James says pure and faultless religion is to look after orphans and widows in distress, he was echoing something that the prophet Isaiah said here. Namely, that purity is not contingent on worship rituals. It's not contingent on even what we say with our mouths. But purity or pure religion is in the heart and it is lived out through active love and service to others. So this, the caring for orphans and widows and the poor and the oppressed, was something that the Jews knew down to their bones It was one of their core values. In fact, it was one of the things that distinguished them from all the other nations that did not serve the one true God. So if you were to read through all the places in the Bible that talk about orphans, and I did, um, you would find that God's stance on orphans and widows, but for our purposes, just orphans today, can be summarized in these four statements. First of all, God loves orphans. Secondly, God does not approve of the neglect or mistreatment of orphans. When you take care of orphans, God blesses you. And Jesus takes it personally how you treat vulnerable people. So let's take a look at a few scriptures to show you each of these, keeping in mind that there are so many more scriptures on this, you guys. But only for the sake of time, I'm only going to give you one of each. You have no idea how much I cut out of this sermon. (laughs) It was so long. I'm so sorry. And you're welcome. Okay, first of all, God loves orphans. I lied. I'm not only going to give you one here. I'm going to read these really fast. Deuteronomy 10:18 says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. For in you, God, the fatherless find compassion. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. If you, Lord, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted, you encourage them. You listen to their cry defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike in terror. Now notice here that God not only loves them, but he shows his love to them in really tangible ways. He defends their cause. He gives them food and clothing. He becomes their father. He sustains them. He shows them compassion. He encourages them. He listens to their cry. Clearly, God loves orphans. In a very tangible way. Next, God does not approve of the mistreatment of or neglect of orphans. In fact, I wanted to put in here, God hates it. And I should have. He hates it. Exodus 22.22 says, do not take advantage of the orphan, I'm sorry, of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. 
Your wives will become widows and your children will become fatherless. That was God that said that. There are so many more. You have no idea how much I'm skipping. Okay, God loves orphans. We know he hates the mistreatment of orphans. And next, when you take care of orphans, God blesses you. Deuteronomy 14, beginning at verse 28, says this. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your town may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And fourthly, okay, God takes it personally how we treat vulnerable people. This is a familiar passage, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. But I want us to read this in light of what we now know about the orphans in the world, okay? I want, I want us to think orphan in this story. This is Jesus talking. He says, Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. <clears throat> when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply, truly, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will turn to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but, take, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus takes it personally how we treat vulnerable people. So far, we've answered what is the orphan crisis, and we've talked about how God feels about orphans, and now we are going to talk about what we as a church can do about it. The problem is huge. We have 153 million orphans, many of whom we cannot even reach. What in the world are we supposed to do about this? If you're feeling like that right now, I want to assure you of two things. First of all, helping even one will make a huge difference for eternity. And if you don't believe me, ask Eliana or Elijah. Remember also that you are not acting alone. This call to take care of orphans, it's not just an individual calling, it's a call to the church. 
It may even be um, primarily a call to the church as a whole. So as a congregation, we work together. As a congregation, New Life Church is called to care for orphans. So you're not just out there doing this all by yourself. It doesn't have to be that way. This is a call to the body of Christ. But how? How do we do it? Well, the problem is very complicated, and there are so many things we can do. But along with your bulletin today, there's bulletin insert, and there is a list of things that we are going to go through. I do not want you to uh, furiously be taking notes. There's this little bulletin insert that we're going to go through really fast. And in the spirit of James, I don't want us to listen to the word and then walk away unchanged. I want us to do something. I know for sure in the following list, there is something that you can do. I have been praying for you for about three weeks, so be careful. (gasps) um, I prayed that you'd be sensitive to God today. So if you feel him nudging you, I am seriously going to ask you to have a pen in your hand. And as you feel him nudging you, will you just draw a circle around the thing that you're, the number or the word or underline it? Just something that says you're going to make some kind of effort and commitment to care for orphans. Okay, so if you want to care for orphans in their distress, one of the things you can do is to adopt. You guys, I could talk about adoption all day. I think adoption is about the best thing in the world. Now notice I did not say adoption was the easiest thing in the world. I didn't say adoption was the cheapest thing in the world but it is the best thing in the world. Cue the tears. Okay. Um, Bringing an orphan into your home and making them your child, giving them a family, giving them a shot at knowing Jesus, like it doesn't get any better than that. Now, I understand that not everyone is called to adopt, but if you think you may be and you know who you are because your heart is racing right now and you just broke out into a big sweat, Um, I know because I've sat where you are, then if you feel a tug on your heart to go that way, there is a link you will see um, where it says thescooponbalance.com, I want to adopt, where do I start? That is my blog. I have written a whole blog series years ago on this. It's a whole series on everything you want to know about adoption, but there is one specific post about where do I start. Also, I will add here... um, that there is a list of people at New Life Church who have walked the adoption journey, who have adopted children, who have agreed to be available for you to talk to them. You can contact them. They all gave me permission to put their names in here. You can go and find out. All those, all those journeys are different. Some were super easy and flawless, and others were really, 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 really hard, and they would be happy to share their experience with you. Okay, number two foster. You can become a foster parent. I mentioned earlier that in Kentucky, there are over 10,000 kids in foster care, and unfortunately, the number is increasing, and the need for loving foster parents just continues to grow. Now, about 2,000 of these kids need a a permanent home, but about 8,000 of them just need a temporary home until they can be reunited with a, a family member. And if that's you, and you know who you are because of the heart racing and the sweating that we just talked about, I have included a link where it can tell you all about how to get started in foster care. 
We also have a couple people in our church who have done foster care, and we have a member of our church who works in the foster care system. And so all those people, it's all on there for you. Now, I would love every one of you to adopt a child or become foster parents, but I realize that that's not possible. Not everybody is in the position to do that. Not everyone's supposed to do that. So what can you do if you're not called to foster or adopt? And if you are not yet sweating? Okay, you can help kids in foster care. There are so many ways to do this. Become a mentor. A mentor will spend time with these kids, especially the older ones before they age out of the system, and just talk to them about life, how to get on their feet, because they are about to go out into life with no, no one to speak into their life, any sense or any godliness. You can do that. You can become a tutor. Can you imagine how difficult school must be for these kids who go from home to home, from school to school? You could just help them with math, help them with reading comprehension, help them fi finish their homework. You can be a tutor. You can become an advocate. They're called CASAs. It's a court-appointed special advocate, and their role is to spend time with these foster families, these foster kids, gather all the information that they can, and then when the court goes to make decisions about these children, they become an advocate for that child and the best needs of that child. Number six, you can provide respite care to an adoptive or foster family. Just giving them a break. If you, if you have ever dealt with kids from hard places, you know how exhausting that is. And so these families, you can do it informally. If you just know a family who is a foster family or adoptive family, you can, you can say, hey, can I take your kids for a while? Can I have them for the weekend? Can we do this once a month? Or you can go through it formally, and there's all the links that you can figure out how to do that. I would just tell you, however, as you do these things working with kids in foster care, it is really important that you educate yourself about childhood trauma and what that looks like, how that manifests itself in a child. Because sometimes if you go in there and think you're just going to like, you know, well, if that was my kid, I would, you know, you can't do that with foster kids. You can't do that with kids who have been wounded. Every kid in foster care comes from something really hard. That's why they're not with their parents. And so I would really encourage you, if you go that route, that you would just educate yourself about childhood trauma. So when you go in there, you provide a loving and supportive situation and environment for that kid. Next, you can, well, you know, I'm just, uh, just let me back up a little bit. I, I know that probably a lot of you are at this point and you're thinking, Sandy, this sounds great, but I don't really like kids. Okay, if that's you, don't, don't raise your hand. The children are with us today. We don't want to hurt them. Or maybe you don't have space in, in your life right now to mentor or tutor a child, and I totally get that. I really do. Um, maybe you can't be the one on the front lines. That's okay. Fair enough. You can provide orphan care still by supporting families who are on the front lines or people who are on the front lines. You can become, you can support a foster, number seven, support a foster or adoptive family. And you know that anyone who welcomes a new child into their home, they need all the support they can get, but especially true for foster and adoptive families. There are so many needs that you could, if you just know someone who's trying to adopt, you can ask them, what do you need? They might need furniture. They might need airline mileage so that they can go visit their child. They might need clothing. They might need help with legal counsel. Maybe you can run errands. 
Maybe you can edit documents because as we established, adoption requires a degree in paperwork. Now, a lot, the biggest obstacle that most adoptive parents have, so a lot of parents want to, a lot of people want to adopt, but sometimes they don't go through with it because they can't afford it. And so when you see a family on Facebook post a GoFundMe page, will you just like throw money at that thing? If you see a, a family who is who's asking for donations for her garage sale to raise money for her adoption, will you write her a check? Like a big one? It's so much money. <laughs> Except for foster care is free, by the way. Foster to adopt is free. Um, you can support, number eight, an orphanage. In January 2010, a devastating earthquake hit Haiti after which a Christian couple started a small orphanage taking in kids who lost their parents. And among those children was a child named Michael. You may know him as Michael Brizendine, Todd and, Brizend Todd and uh, Mickey Brizendine's son. Did you know that New Life Church financially supports the orphanage that Michael was take where he was taken in? You can support that orphanage too. You can also... Sponsor, there's a school sponsorship program in Lubin that pastor, that's Pastor Bo's village. We have ongoing relationship with Pastor Bo in Haiti. And, and though they're not technically orphans, you, these people can't afford to send their kids to school. And so if we want to stop the orphan crisis on the back end so that like we don't let any more kids in that, we can help support the families who are just trying to support and take care of their children. So you can sponsor a kid to go to school in Lubin. If there's anyone interested in helping in either of those areas, Todd and Mickey Brizendine um, have agreed to speak with you and their information is on there. Number nine, you can support Free to Hope. Now, remember how we talked about how orphans are especially vulnerable to human trafficking? Well, guess what? Amy Leanerts our own Amy, Amy Leanerts started a nonprofit public charity that is committed to helping disrupt and prevent human trafficking and provide a safe place for victims of sex crimes. You can volunteer at Free to Hope in any number of ways. And if you were at the women's ministry kickoff, you heard Amy speak about this, but she needs people who will come to her safe house that she just purchased and cook meals for these women and sit down and talk with them and love them and mentor them. 10. Is anyone sweating yet? Did you circle something? I hope you're circling stuff. Okay, number 10. You can sponsor a child through a reputable organization. Now, we, the Cooper family, we sponsor two children. We sponsor one through World Vision. We sponsor one through Compassion International. And reputable organizations like these are just on the front lines, just helping kids who are in really vulnerable situations. And it's not very much. It's like 30-something dollars a month, depending on where you go. But it... Uh, Compassion International, which is really cool, if you get on their website, you can actually search for a child who is an orphan and sponsor an orphan directly. And then you're matched with a child. You have a picture and a name. You can write them letters. And if you have the money or the time to do it, you can actually get on a plane and go visit your child. You can have an ongoing relationship with these children. And number 11, you can pray. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful 
and effective. This is not a lesser option. This is not a last resort. Prayer should be in conjunction with all the other things that we talked about. Now, if you're anything like me, um, you always have a good intention to pray, but then you're going to walk out the doors and you'll toss the bulletin and you'll forget, or you'll remember, and then you'll be like, I don't even know what to pray about, so dear Jesus, bless the orphans in Jesus' name, amen, and you're going to move on. Okay, so to help you not do that, I have, there's a link in there. See under number 11, that link? If you, it's a PDF. It's a prayer guide. It has 24 groups of people to pray for in the foster care system. If you prayed for, if you got together with your life group or you got together with your family, our family's going to do this this month. They don't know it yet, but they are. Hey, fam, we're going to pray every day for someone in the foster care system. If you prayed starting today, it's November 3rd, prayed every day, this would take you through to the end of the month. You could pray every day of the month, which is also Adoption Awareness Month, by the way. How about you do that? So maybe you're thinking at this point, wow, Sandy, you just threw a lot of information at us, and this all seems like really hard things. Yeah. Yep. It is. If you help hurting kids, guess what? You're going to hurt more. If you spend money to adopt or to help a family who is adopted or you support a child in Haiti, guess what? You're going to have less money. If you sacrificially give your time to become a court-appointed special advocate or to mentor a child without a dad or provide respite care, guess what? You're going to have less time to do other things. Wow, Sandy, where do I sign up for that? (laughs) You're going to be poorer. You're going to hurt more. You're going to have less time. Where do, where do you sign up for that? Well, you know what? You kind of already did when you said you would follow Jesus. His kingdom is not of this world, and it is not based on comfort or material wealth. It is based on love and self-sacrifice and self-giving and self-emptying. That is what Jesus did for you. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? One final story, and then I'm done. When we adopted Elijah as a newborn, um, we intentionally told him, um, we, we always told him that he was adopted. We just always said it. And uh, we'd, we'd tell him, okay, Rebecca was in mommy's belly, but you were in your birth mom's belly, and, and someone who loved you very much, who couldn't take care of you. And we always made adoption sound like such a wonderful thing. Like you were adopted. Yay. And, um, so much so that, that one time I overheard Elijah and Rebecca fighting when they were really small and they were like, no, I was adopted. No, I was adopted. No, I was adopted. So Rebecca, I regret to inform you, you were in mommy's belly. I'm so sorry. But like all things with children, they have limited understanding of these really complicated concepts, you know, when they're little. And so you kind of have to explain them over and over again as they mature. And so Elijah was five and turning six years old when we were adopting Eliana. And, um, and so 
we kept explaining to the kids that just like Elijah's adoption, that there was this birth mom in Guatemala and she had a baby in her belly and she couldn't take care of that baby. And so we were going to go fly to Guatemala and we were going to go get her and that was going to be your new little sister. And, um, and so that night when we were talking to Elijah, it was like he heard it in a whole different way. And it was like something clicked with him about his own situation. And he realized that he was like adopted for the first time even though he had been hearing it his whole life. And he realized that there was a birth mother and a birth father and come to find out also a half-sister and a half-brother. And, and his big blue eyes were like saucers when he was like asking me all these questions. Like, where do they live? And why did they give me away? Why can't I live with them? And so I sat down at his little table. We had this little table in our kitchen and kind of sat in the corner and I pulled up a little miniature chair next to him, and I, I got out all the pictures that I had of his birth family. And I laid them all out on the table, and I told him who everybody was, and I explained everything the best that I could. And he crawled up on my lap that night, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And I, I couldn't really get into his little head to understand um, how to console him, because the wave of emotion hit him so hard, and... Um, it's a lot to process that when you're six. It's a lot to process that when you're any age. But I just kept reassuring him that before he was ever born, we chose him. And that, that God knew exactly where he was supposed to be and that he was in the exact right place. And we all loved him so very much. So can I remind you of something this morning? You were an orphan. But God did not leave you that way. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In Ephesians, it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and glorious grace to which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We have been adopted by God the Father. And maybe today that's the first time you're hearing it, or maybe today you can understand that in a whole new way. Can you understand that in a whole new way that we were orphans, but we have been adopted by God himself, grafted into his family? Maybe today you can say, I was an orphan, so I will care for orphans. What an opportunity to show the world, the heart of the father, not just say it with our mouths, but actually live it with our lives. When we show the world adoption or caring for orphans, you are showing them a picture of the Father's heart in the most tangible way, more than anything you could ever say with your mouth. If you do this, if you live this way, it will show a hurting world what God the Father thinks of them, how much he loves them. That is what this will do. Jason Johnson with the Christian Alliance for Orphans said this, not everyone is called to do the same thing, but certainly if you are someone who claims to have been adopted by God, you are no doubt called to do something. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after 
the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world.